Well, brethren, we are blessed to have a, a special speaker for today and a special visitor. Uh, Mr. Jeff Henderson is going to bring us our sermon for today entitled, Our Quest for Holiness and Righteousness. The power of music, you know, doesn't it get you? I mean, you know, you could feel the energy, and I really like the, the, the one, the battle belongs to the Lord. I mean, you talk about all the things we did in Bible study, right? I mean, that's like your battle cry. You're ready to go out, like ancient Israel, remember, when they were going out and, and God said, you know, you know, don't be afraid, you know, it's, I've got this one. <laughs> you're covered, right? I mean, you just, you feel energized. You're ready to go. You're ready to take on the world. And with God, there are no accidents, so I had no earthly idea what you were doing today as far as your Bible study was concerned, so I think you'll see some overlap, and all I can say is basically maybe somebody designed it that way. I do want to say to you that I think that you are very blessed to be in this congregation, in this assembly. Uh, I feel definitely the Spirit of God is here. I like what you're doing with your Bible study. Uh, by studying the Word of God, you're preparing yourself for battle, right? And it's interesting because in our little assembly, uh, we have uh, an interactive Bible study that we uh, are engaged in. And what I have found is that it, it's really great because it allows the Spirit of God to move through His people. And people will say things and and, uh, and all we do, we're not even using, well, we are using a book, but basically we're just reading, you know, through Scripture, and then we, we take it, digest it, and we speak to it. And people will come up with all sorts of things, and you say, well, I never thought of that, <laughs> you know. Imagine that, you know. And so it, it's really a blessing. It's a blessing. It's one thing to let somebody stand before you and speak, and hopefully you're somewhat edified as a result. It's another thing when... Uh, you can uh, study God's word as, as a group of people and again let God's spirit move among all of you as you are inspired to chime in and, and talk about scripture and add to it. So I think that, that's very wonderful. I do want to give a, uh, a thank you. I feel like I'm at a, an award, you know. And I'd like to thank my mother and father at this time and, you know, my wife. Um, but no, uh, I do want to thank the uh, Steele family for their hospitality. Uh, we are staying at their uh, abode, and, uh, and we, we sincerely appreciate that. We've had some uh, time for some wonderful conversations and fellowship, and it's, it's been a, a real blessing. But uh, do you think that uh, tonight we can move from the pup tent into the house? <laughs> oh, trials and tribulations, right? We, ha we all have them. Um, so anyway, thank you, uh, thank you for that, and it's good to see you, you all. Uh, there are many of you that are familiar faces, and it's good to see that you're uh, you're soldiering on, right? You know, you're you know you haven't uh, you haven't become a, a casualty of the battle. You're still in the fight, and it's good. Now we were trying to figure out how long it has been since we were here last, and we've had uh, different people give their educated guesses, but it looks like it's anywhere from three to five years since we were here last time. 
And a lot of things have changed in that time, haven't they? Things are not the same in our lives or in this country that they were, you know, four or five years ago. So uh, we'll be talking more about that, too, as we uh, uh, go through today's message. But first of all, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, we, we have God's holy days, and there are certainly blessings. And when we engage in them and they're over, right, we focus on the next one. You know, we heard about the fact that we're, uh, uh, this is, what, day 14, and we're moving forward to, to Pentecost. And it's very easy to see the days of unleavened bread in the, in the rearview mirror, right? It's something that was past us, right? But I, I want to I go back, because there's only been a week, right? And already we're kind of like, okay, that's, that's, that's done. We're moving on now, right? It's only, only been a week. But the days of unleavened bread, it's not a, uh, a one done and out event. What we started, we must continue. Waging war against sin is an ongoing process. Now, I would ask you this question. Did you have a good uh, days of unleavened bread? What does a good days of un unleavened bread look like? That would determine the answer to that question. Well, it means a couple of things. It means basically that you have once again come to grips, that you have identified things in your life that need changing, and you set about to right those flaws in your, in your spiritual life. One of the exercises that we tried this year in, in our uh, assembly is the suggestion was made that we make a list of some of the things that we need to work on, we need to overcome our, our sins. And remember, there are two categories of sins, right? There are sins of commission, I did something bad, I did something I shouldn't have done. And then, there is a sin of omission. You didn't do something that you should have done, okay? So you take that evaluation and the suggestion was that you write down uh, seven of them and that each day of the days of unleavened bread you focus on that particular one through prayer, through meditation. You're like a laser. Now you're going to focus on that and you're going to work on that. I ended up actually with three um, <laughs> because they required a lot of time and effort. But there was a takeaway for me personally. And that is that uh, I found out that the more earnest you are about it, the more successful you will be in conquering uh, sin in your life. You have to reach a point where you really literally cry out to God and you admit the fact that, you know, it ain't happening with me, you know. Um, you know, I, I have a desire. I, I want to do good. It reminds, it reminds me. <laughs> of a joke I heard once. This, uh, this fellow dies, right, and he goes to hell. And uh, the devil is there. And the devil is uh, looking at him, and he says, uh, you've been a naughty boy. And the guy says, but I wanted to do good. You know, well, wanting to do good and doing good are two different things, right? And so 
we're only going to be successful if, if we're really earnest. And when I really cried out to God and, and I, I asked for his help, only the, the, there was a, a change. And what really was helpful for me personally in the Bible study, uh, people were asked for their own personal input on certain questions. And some people maybe didn't want to speak up. And I understand because some things are kind of private. You don't want to share them with other people. But I prayed and I said, you know, help me to see sin as you see sin. Help me to understand sin as you understand sin. And by praying that prayer, God gave me greater insight so that when I am tempted to do things that I know, you know, weren't right, all of a sudden I, I began to see it in a different light, right? Now I'm seeing it from his perspective. That's what you want. You want to see sin from his perspective. And so, in that sense, yes, the days of unleavened bread were good for me, right? But it's not like, oh, okay, we had seven days, you know, we engaged in the battle for seven days, now we're on leave, we're on R&R. &R. Uh, what did the person say during Bible study? That uh, we tend to think sometimes we're at peace now, right? So we relax, we pull back, all right? Well, unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that that there were opportunities just to lay in your hammock and not do anything, but this, this is a, a war that goes on. It never ends until Christ comes and we're changed, you know? I know that's maybe not exciting to hear, but it is the reality, all right? And I think if anybody knew that and could speak to that, it was the Apostle Paul. And so I would like to read from Romans 7, 15 through verse 20, and I'm going to read it in the J.B. Phillips New Translation. It's interesting, now with modern technology and everything, you can go to places like Bible Gateway, and you can look at scriptures and all sorts of translations. And sometimes it's really great because you get uh, a nuance. You, get, you see it in, in a different light, and it just kind of comes to light. So, so starting in verse 14, actually, in Romans 7, we read the following. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, after all, the law itself is really concerned with the spiritual. It is I who am carnal and have sold my soul to sin. In practice, what happens? My own behavior baffles me. For I find myself not doing what I really want to do, but doing what I really loathe. Yet surely, if I do the things I really don't want to do, I am admitting that I really agree with the law. But it cannot be said that I am doing them at all. It must be sin that has made its home in my nature. And when I read that, I thought, you know, the problem is, it's in our DNA. It's in our genes. It is. It's like a mutant virus, an alien virus that's got a hold of us, right? And it, it's there. And indeed, I know from experience that the carnal side of my being can scarcely be called the home of good. I often find that I have the will to do good, but not the power. 
And that was also brought up in the Bible study, wasn't it? In other words, where does the power come from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. That is, I don't accomplish the good I set out to do, and the evil I don't really want to do, I find I am always doing. Yet, if I do things that I don't really want to do, then it is not I, repeat I, who do them, but the sin which has made its home within me. So the battle is not outward as much as it, as it is inward, inward, right? In other words, we're, we're fighting our flesh, we're fighting our nature. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as, as the time goes on. But when Paul said, you know, I have a desire to do good, and yet I find that that's not, it's not translated into my reality. I'm still doing sin. I, it reminded me of something that even Jesus alluded to. Remember in the night of the garden when um, he asked uh, some of his closest disciples to stay near to him and to watch and to pray. And when he came back, you know, they were sleeping. And what did he say? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's the way it is with us, isn't it? You know, I think all of us want to do good. <laughs> I wanted to do good, right? But so many times we fall short of the mark, and we don't. So even after these days, the battle against the pulls of our flesh will continue. And so don't let the days of unleavened bread be a rear view mirror experience. Don't stop thinking about that and now focus on the next holy day. Yes, we should be doing that, but not to the exclusion of thinking about that period of time. You see, the way I see it, and is there any other way? But the way I see it is that uh, the holy days, like the days of unleavened bread, you know, how would uh, the Apostle Paul speak to people in a modern day language, right? Now we know that uh, he used the tools at hand when he talked about the armor, right? He was using that period of world history and what the Romans used. You know, today he may have used something completely different. So, you know, how, how would you explain the, the, the purpose of the holy days? Well, I liken it unto uh, the devices that we have, right? You're going someplace, you have a destination, and you want to go there. And you ask your device for uh, directions. And it says, uh, you know, uh, go one mile down and turn left at uh, Do Re Mi Lane. Okay, okay, very good. So I'm, I'm down. And I get distracted, right? And I don't make the turn. I go right past it, right? So well, what do we hear, you know? Recalculating, recalculating. And, and to me, that, that's what the day is about. <laughs> I love it when people laugh at my jokes. I'm, I'm endeared to you. When, that endeared me to my wife when we were dating, actually. So, and sometimes she doesn't laugh at my jokes anymore, so I don't know what that means. But anyway, uh, so, you know, it's the same thing with the days of Adam and bread. Basically, we can get out of sync. We get out of kelter, right? And this is the time which brings us back 
to where we should be. Refocuses us, keeps us on the, the road that we should be on. So that's the way that I liken the days of unleavened bread, one aspect of it. So, you know, in, the, in a modern world, that's kind of how, how I see it. Now, I'm going to switch just a little bit here, and I'm going to bring up another subject. And um, I also want to inject a, a point right now, and that is that for those people that God uses to speak before congregations and the people of God, you know, you should never be timid. You should speak the word of God in all boldness, basically, as you feel it's given to you. I've talked to uh, many uh, clergy people and uh, people have said, you know, because you hear this separation of church and state, right? And a lot of people, uh, pastors, ministers, have been afraid to speak out even on things that are, are political uh, because, you know, well, we, we can't do that. That's verboten, right? That's not, that's not true. Actually, the law really says that you as a church, all right, you couldn't put a, an ad in a newspaper and say the Tulsa Church of God endorses this guy for candidacy who's running for, for mayor, all right? However, the person who speaks from the pulpit has First Amendment rights and can talk about, you know, any subject, and the congregation will decide for themselves whether they like it or they don't like it, okay? But in other words, there's a, a, a program that we watch periodically. It's uh, called The Watchman, and, and this fellow uh, talks about what's going on in Israel and gives updates and everything. And at the end of, of, of every one of his messages, and, and he says, and never hold your peace, all right? And I think that, that the, the people, the servants of God, have to have that same attitude, right? In other words, you can't be intimidated. Who wants you to be in your closet? Who wants you to not talk about the righteousness that God wants for our society? It's the enemy. The enemy wants you to to just, you know, not, not go there, right? But if you go back in ancient history, you'll find that, that in early America, uh, the churches were very engaged in what was going on in the political process. In fact, you'll find that, that uh, uh, there were churches and great uh, uh, clergy of the time that whenever it came time for voting, they would actually look at the scriptures and they would give sermons based on uh, what a, a Christian should or should not do in that particular category. And I would also submit to you this. The Bible says whatever is within your power to do good, you should do good if you, if you have that power. Well, what power do we have? Well, we, we, we have certain powers as a, as a people that still live in a land that is pretty much free compared to the rest of the world. We can vote, certainly. We can sign petitions. We can make our... our uh, feelings known in, in the marketplace. We can stand for righteousness and for what's good. So what we can do, I think we should do, all right? We shouldn't be intimidated into saying, oh, well, you know, I, I, I can't get involved in things. You know, I would also submit to you that if there were more godly people that were involved in government, it would be a better world that, that we would live in, you know, if we had people that really uh, believed in the Word of God and wanted to live by the Word of God and encourage other people to do likewise, I think it would be a, a greater place. So what we now see is we see a battle 
raging for the soul of our nation. And, you know, it's amazing uh, how things can change in such a short period of time. Uh, you know, uh, again, since a new administration has come to power, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing how quickly things can change. And I could stand here for the next hour and give you examples, but you'll be pleased to know that I won't. Okay? But I do want to make my point. So if, if you will indulge me, I, I do want to show you, like in a court of law, why I feel that basically we are deteriorating at a quicker pace than we did uh, previous to the changeover. I've always felt that the prophetic uh, timeline with God is like an accordion. God can stretch it out, or he can bring it in. And when it's brought in, it goes at a faster pace, right? than when he stretches it out. And we do seem to be going at a faster pace in the wrong direction. There are things that are going on which are so mind-boggling and so foreign to the logical mind that you would be uh, almost uh, prone to say that uh, the leadership in this country, at, at, at many levels, by the way, you know, our leaders, quote-unquote, uh, seem to be people that just uh, escape from uh, insane asylums, right? The, the things that they're doing, uh, you know, it just boggles the mind. Check this out, right? CNN, recently, one of their people uh, said that uh, it is, uh, you are unable to determine the gender identity at birth of a baby. And, no, and there is no consensus criteria for uh, uh, assessing the sex at birth. Oh, really? Oh, really? I never knew that. I'm so enlightened. Thank you, All right? In other words, a baby is born, and you really can't tell what it is. You know, you may think you know, but mm, okay. So, I mean, if that, if that doesn't boggle the mind, you know, I, I don't know what does. The other thing that's scary, and by the way, the church is definitely more at risk. We're under attack. The persecution is heating up now. The drums, you know, those movies where they had the slaves in those ships and they, and they were rowing and they had the, the beat of the drum? Boom, boom, boom. And then, and then they would enter in the battle, and they go, ramming speed, boom, 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 right? I almost feel the same intensity unfolding here as we enter into this, this period of time. There is, and granted it's California, but the mere fact that it could ever rear its ugly head is kind of a sign of the times. There is a bill in Sacramento, in California, it still hasn't come out of the, um, the assembly, and, it's, and all these bills are beautiful, right? They always attach these great names to them. You know, you know, loving thy neighbor bill. You know, you know, make the world a better place bill. You know, and you think, oh, that sounds good. I like that, right? And then you go and you read what it actually says, and it's completely different. Well, this particular bill, when you get through all of the minutia and you get down to the bottom line, you know what it says? It says Christians should not be police officers because they're biased and they're prejudiced and they're this and they're that. And so therefore, we shouldn't have Christians as uh, police officers. You see where this is going? You know, pretty soon, you know, different occupations. Oh, you're not welcome here. You know, we don't want your kind here, right? 
So, I mean, let, let that sink in. You know, again, here's the thing. We are lulled into a false sense of security because, as I've said to people over and over again, you are, you are living in Disneyland. America is Disneyland. This is not the world's reality, all right? And I would further submit to you that even among Christians, this is not the world's reality, right? We have freedom and we have things here for now that are completely different than our brothers and sisters that are going to jail or being killed in China. By the way, Christians in India are under major attack now through the Hindus, Hindus that are in power. So around the world, it's heating up, more persecution, right? So don't you think for a minute that we're going to get a pass. Why would you ever in your wildest dreams think that God would give you a pass, you know, if other people are having to suffer for the cause of Christ? You could make the argument that if any group of people look like Laodiceans, it's American Christians. And you know what he said about them, don't you, right? So... You know, hey, it's uh, ramming speed time. I mean, you're, you know, you better gird up your loins and, and you better, you know, put on all that, uh, all that warfare armament and everything because, uh, you know, uh, you have to be engaged. You, you, you'd have to be engaged. And, and again, there are sins of commission and omission. You know, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have to give account. It says for everything we said and did. But I would ask the following question. He might ask you, why didn't you do something when you had the opportunity to do it? You know, I'll give you a case in point since, you know, I have no problem with uh, self-flagellation here. Um, how many times have you in your life been in a situation where you had an opportunity to stand up for the cause of Christ and you didn't do it? Right, you were in a group of people or a conversation happened and it was almost like God gave you the perfect opportunity to stand up for moral righteousness or goodness or godly principles or what have you, and you didn't do it. And you made excuses for yourself. I'll share mine with you, you know. Well, that would be casting my pearls before the swine. Or, you know, those people, I mean, you know, why waste my breath on them? I mean, they're... they're they're, you know, gone over to the dark side anyway. It'd be a waste of time to do that. Well, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? You know, maybe God gave you a, a divine appointment. Maybe he created something for you to say something or do something that could have changed that person's attitude. And, and, and check this out. Did, does not the word of God say that some plant, some water, and some reap? You may... You may plant something and never know the outcome of the situation. So does that mean that you should not engage? Does that mean you should do nothing? Okay, or do we have an obligation to do whatever we can when we can? And I believe that God does give us divine appointments, and we should ask for them. We should ask for them. If we love our neighbor as ourselves. what is the greatest gift that you could give an unbelieving, unconverted neighbor? The answer to that is that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So why not, not, why not pray for them that that would be the case? I ran into a fellow recently, I think he was from Missouri, and I'll tell you, I, I thought, you know, wow, 
you got it, you got it, brother. You know, I mean, he actually, a small community, right, very small community, he actually goes down to City Hall and, and, and he, will, he will pray over City Hall. He will put his hands on the building. He will pray for, for God to move the hearts and the minds of the people. He prays for neighbors. He walks uh, in his neighborhood and, and he'll pray over houses and things like that. I mean, does he have passion? Does he have a desire? I mean, if these people are living lives uh, which many times are miserable and they're, you know, they're going the wrong way, um, how can you better love your neighbor than wanting to do that? So um, I think that whether you're standing behind a, a, uh, a podium like this or whether you're out and about, you should never hold your peace. I would also submit this. I think that the, the church uh, went through a very interesting changeover. You know, four years ago, um, a lot of people felt that if a certain person were elected, that things would be bad. And then all of a sudden, somebody else got elected. And I, hey, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody. I really don't. Okay, I'm just giving you my personal opinion. You can have it with a grain of salt if you want. But um, I think that, that God, for whatever reason, put that individual in, in the presidency. And I think that there were a lot of good things that came about as a result. Uh, very pro-life, very pro-Israel. Um, but, you know, it didn't change the fact that the nation was still slipping away because even with pushback from on high, there was still degrading going on. It was just at a slower pace, all right? It was like the tide was coming in, but it wasn't coming in, in as fast. And I think that that a lot of people felt that if the other person had been elected in 2016, we would, we would have seen maybe what we're seeing now, and that is things heating up and going down faster. So it's almost like, you know, the accordion went out for a while and we had a reprieve. So how did the church respond to that? Did we redeem the time that we had? Did we redeem the, or did we say, oh, we're at peace now. We can relax. We dodged the bullet on that one. Ah, that's great, you know when we really should have doubled our efforts because we didn't know when the darkness, the night would come. And it says that you have to, to labor while the light is there, right? So when we had the opportunity, we should have ratcheted it up. And I feel that the church basically kind of went on its ease. It kind of you know, sat back and maybe didn't have that. And now I, I, I also think that basically God is heating up the process again, and I think, my own personal opinion again, I think there are probably more Christians praying more fervently today than they did four years ago, because all of a sudden they see things going on, they see these bills coming down, they see our freedoms being taken away, and they go, oh, God, help us, God, save us, right? And I think we should be praying for repentance and revival, because the only thing that will ever save this nation will be God. And we have to return to God. And if we don't, then we are doomed. And we are going down. But I'll tell you, well, you know, you have to go down fighting. If you're going to go down, you got to go down fighting, right? Now, it should, it should be no surprise to us what we're seeing in society. Because it mirrors what's going on in our own personal battles. And we touched on this, and rightfully so, during the Bible study. But I want to look at this from a little bit different perspective, okay? We see basically this battle between good and evil. 
being played out right before our eyes and it's something the Bible warned us about, right? Going back to Ephesians again, the sixth chapter starting in verse 12. Again, I'm going to read this to you from the J.B. Phillips New Testament translation. And the caption to this is, Be forewarned and forearmed in your spiritual conflict. In conclusion, now this is how he wrapped up the whole thing to the Ephesians, right? After all he wrote to the Ephesians, these were his final remarks. In conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord. We talked about that, right? The power, uh, the battle belongs to the Lord, all right? Be strong, but not in your own devices, not by, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to achieve that, you know, but realize that, that yes, uh, as, as one person uh, said so eloquently one time on a series that we love to watch, it's not our responsibility to feed the 5,000. It's our responsibility to provide the fishes and the loaves, all right? So we still have a job to do. We still have a duty to do. But it's God who's going to bring it to pass, all right? Put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attack. I thought that was interesting. You know, his different methods of attack. You know, in battle, you know, the generals of the different armies are always looking for strategies. You know, now if we attack here, or we make an in run here, or we do this, right? They're always scheming and plotting. And he says it's that way with our enemy, the devil, that he has different methods of attacking us. He knows your hot buttons. He knows your weaknesses. So is he going to go through the strongest line of your, of your uh, army, or is he going to attack a weak point to break through the lines, right? Of course, we know the answer for that. For your fight is not against any physical enemy. It is against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Interesting translation. You know, you know when the devil tempted Jesus, you know, you, you got to give the devil his due, I guess, in that sense. He, his strategy, his method of attack was to use the word of God against Jesus, right? Everything he said, he quoted scripture. He was quoting scripture. Well, doesn't it say right here? You know, but he answered him also with the word of God, which completes and puts it into how it should be and everything, right? And, and by the way, when he had that temptation and the devil uh, said to him, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You, you, know, you know, he knew that the devil could do that. He had, he had reign over the governments of the world. And I submit that that's what we're seeing now. It's not those people in Washington or Sacramento or these other places. They are minions, all right? They are just, you know, uh, uh, unknowingly 
uh, following, you know, the impulses of the will of the devil. This, this is about the spiritual warfare. It's, it's not those people that, that are our enemy. Uh, they, you know, he's manifested in them as far as what they do, but really it's, it's the devil. Therefore, you must put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist evil in its day of power and that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may stand your ground. Oh, I like that. I like that. Picture, if you will, fighting to a standstill. I love movies, especially true historical movies. And there's one movie, if you haven't seen it, that I, I uh, recommend to you. It's called The Lost Battalion. True story, World War I. A um, British, I think it was, or was it Allied? I can't remember now. Hmm. Anyway, a, a battalion of one of the Allied forces, uh, the, the, the plan was, okay, you're going to break through the German lines here, and you're going to go to an area and secure it. Meanwhile, the, uh, okay, meanwhile, the French and the British, we will attack from different points. We will break through, and we will relieve you. Okay, so that's the plan. Okay, go get them. So, sure enough, this battalion did what they were told to do. They engaged the enemy. They were able to break through the lines and go to the area that they were told to secure, right? The problem was that the other guys never were able to break through the lines. They never, they never made it through. So there was no relief column. There was nobody coming for them. But they didn't know that because they, their communication was out. So here they are. Now the Germans all of a sudden realize, oh, we got this massive amount of people behind our lines in this area. So they threw everything at them. I mean, they brought in people from all over. And they said, you know, we, we, have, we have to neutralize these guys. We have to get them out of here, right? And so, you know, there was this one scene where, you know, they're coming into close quarters and close contact, right? And um, um, they're, 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 they're fighting, and this one officer, you know, he, he's there with his men, and, and he's, he's shouting, you know, hold the line, hold the line, right? And, and they were able to hold out long enough that eventually relief forces did come, uh, but they took massive casualties. I think they lost like, you know, 70% or something, some massive amount of the, the battalion. So there was only just a few of them left. But thank God that, you know, they still, they still got relief. But, you know, we have to stand our ground. And even if we fight to a standstill, we have to still, you know, because the Bible says, having done all, what? To stand. Having done all, to stand. We have to stand, you know. Um, Surrender is not an option. Surrender is not an option. I love the fact that God brings the right people at the right time for things. Churchill was the right man for World War II for the British. No question about it. You know, he, he inspired them. You know, his famous speech. You know, he says, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight in the streets. We will never surrender. Right, you know, and it energized the, the the people of England, right? And they said, "Yes, we will never surrender," and that has to be our battle cry: "We will never surrender." And if we have that attitude, and it's really from the heart, God will will give us the the power to stand our ground. And guess what? Yes, we may become a casualty, but Christ also said, "Don't fear those that can kill the body; fear God who can kill the the, the soul." So, you know, even if it is God's will that you become a martyr, 
for him or you have to give up your life for him, all right, then so be it. And I think that if that happens, that he'll give you the wherewithal to be able to do it. I really do, you know. If that moment comes, you know, I, I, we, we get in the mail, I get in the mail every day a little something, and it's a, like a Bible quiz. And one day, the, the question was, who did Christ give a standing ovation to? I thought, I don't, standing ovation, I don't, I don't get that, right? So it turns out that their answer was, okay, go with me on this, right? Their answer was Stephen when he was martyred because what, what did he see? He had a vision, he says, of Jesus Christ standing there encouraging him. And every other time that you see Jesus referenced is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he was standing for Steve, Stephen and giving him encouragement, right? When he, and, and that drove the people even crazier. They wanted to really do him away with him then. So my point is that, you know, you never give up. You never surrender. You keep on fighting. And, uh, and you know, and if God delivers you, then, then praise God. But if, if your plan is that you will be delivered, what happens if you're not? I, say, I think one of the greatest um, harms to the church has been for our theology, the place of safety, and for a lot of other religions, the rapture, because basically they go to the same end game, right? Don't worry, the fix is in. You know, God will take you away from all of this. You will not have to suffer and everything like that, right? I had a uh, talk one time with a man a long time ago who was the general manager of a radio station in Carson City, Nevada. It's a Christian station, and I was in his office, I remember, and uh, we were talking about this, and I got all engaged as I want to do. And I said, yeah, I said, you tell that to all the people in China that are, are dying, you know, they're not being delivered and people over here aren't being delivered. And, and then all of a sudden the thought came to me, Jeff, you don't even know what, uh, what his theology is. You know, he may be one of these people that believes in the rapture and you just, you, you stepped on it now, you know. And I thought, eh, maybe I shouldn't have been so quick of speech to start, you know, bloviating, right? And so after I said that, there was this long silence. And I thought, I'm, I'm, this is it, this is it. You know, I'm going to get it now, right? And he looked at me and he goes, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but, but uh, God has. Because it turns out he believed the same thing I did. But I, I didn't know that, you know. And I thought, oh, wow. You know, but I thought that was very interesting. So, you know, but I thought for a moment, oh, this is going to be a great embarrassment. But I, I do feel that the, um, the church... Um, needs to, uh, to be more engaged. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying we should go out looking for trouble. I'm not saying we should stand on a street corner. But I'm saying that when we have an opportunity to stand for the things of God, because this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, morals, laws, ethics, what have you, that when we don't do that and we have the opportunity you know that is almost like den denying Christ in a way and so I leave you with this thought alright we must determine that we are going to turn over a new leaf regardless we don't know what the future holds if there is repentance and revival if God in his great mercy gives us another reprieve 
if we have an opportunity to have you know this this thing ratchet down a little bit maybe and and we have a, a window of opportunity given to us again to do the work of the church we're going to have to really do it but we cannot plan our future based on that our future has to be the same if we get if we get a period of grace again we rejoice but we continue to do what we're doing if we don't and things continue to go down and things get worse well then we continue to do what we're doing and we let God you know deal with us as as he wants to but if you're going to go down, why not go down fighting, right? That's the way I feel about it. You might as well go down fighting. If, 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 you know, never surrender. Never hold your peace, right? And, and if God gives you the opportunity, then, and I think in your heart of hearts, you'll know, you'll know that. I don't have the perfect answer for you on that one. But when you need to stand up for things that are right, and, you know, and, and even morally in our society, when... When a law is proposed that is, you know, asinine and stupid and uh, ungodly and everything, you know, should you, should you keep your mouth shut? Or if you have the opportunity in love, should you say, well, you know, I don't agree with that, uh, I, I, and here's why. And at least present your case, you know what I mean? Rather than just, you know, somebody is saying something in support of, you know, one of the things I didn't read to you is that uh, look, look what's happening with, the, um, the children in, in our land. You know, now in the state of Washington, uh, uh, Kathy wrote this out for me. Um, let me see if I can find it real fast. Um, children in Washington state, ages 13 and up, can obtain uh, a, a gender uh, change and everything using their parents' insurance without parental consent. And they can already do that with abortion, for example. And what you don't hear, what they won't tell you, of course, is the fact that a lot of people that have gone through those, those changes have uh, ended up in suicide. You know, there's been a lot of suicides related to those sex changes. And, and does a young person really understand what they're doing at that age? You know, so that's something to, to think about. So I also want to share with you um, something that comes from Ezekiel 9, uh, chapter 9, the fourth chapter. And, and I thought, you know, this, this pertains to us today, right? It says, and he called the man, uh, uh, and he called to the man clothed in linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men and women that sigh and cry for all of the abominations or detestable sins that are done in the midst thereof. Do we have abominations in our country? I think we do. Do you sigh and cry? Does it mean anything to you? Does it really upset you? Does it tear you up? Okay, because here God says that, that he recognizes people that do that. And again in Malachi 3.16, in the New Living Translations, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said in his presence. A scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. And I would just tag that by saying the honor of his name includes defending his name, honoring his name in the public square, 
if you have the opportunity. So again, sins of commission, sins of omission. And the last thing that you ever want to uh, hear spoken to you is found in Matthew 10.33, again in the J.B. Phillips translation. It says, every man or woman or young person who publicly acknowledges me, I shall acknowledge in the presence of my Father in heaven. But the person who disowns me before men, I shall disown before my Father in heaven. And again, I submit to you for your consideration the fact that you could disown him by not doing something when you should be doing something. So, truly, as we read in 1 Peter 4.17, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. So we are, our actions, our deeds are being recorded, are being noted, and the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. I think we have been given much, not the least of which is the fact that we know We've been called. We know that Jesus gave his life for us, that we are under his blood for the forgiveness of sins. We know things that a lot of people don't know because God, for whatever reason, and sometimes I wonder why did he ever call me? You know, I certainly didn't deserve it. I didn't qualify for it, but he did. And he's called you. And now you have to do something. You have to be a profitable servant. You have to do the things he wants you to do. So let us put on the armor that we talked about in Ephesians. And not only put it on, but march out to battle.